Well, good morning. It's good to see you on this wet Sunday morning, but uh, here we are in a nice dry place to open God's Word. If you would turn your Bibles to John chapter 5, we are continuing uh, our study in this very important chapter in the book of John. Now, they're all important, but this one, this one, this one tells me something very clearly, um, which would be a theme of the whole book. But this chapter specifically, from Jesus' own lips, he makes the declaration that he is God. He is God. And this is a cardinal truth of Christianity. And this is one that you need to know and you need to understand that without it, you don't have salvation. If Jesus is not God, we don't have a perfect sacrifice. If Jesus is not God, we do not have a perfect Savior. You need perfection to go to heaven. You need perfect, a substitute who is perfect. And no man is perfect, only God Jesus, God eternal, joined to sinless human flesh, the God-man. That is what Christmas is all about, and that is certainly what John chapter 5 is all about. Son of God, Son of Man. The term Son of Man will be used in this passage today, but it is a favorite Uh, uh, title that Jesus uses in the other gospels more but John is about the son of God God in human flesh we're going to see it in chapter 5 from Jesus own mouth as he talks to the religious leaders as he speaks to them and warns them of who he is we were introduced to this at the very beginning of the book of John. Just flip back. You remember verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We saw it there. It continues all the way through. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And all through chapter 5 especially, you see words like for and therefore at the beginning of the verses. That's because he's giving the veracity of his statement, the veracity of his claim that he is God. Jesus is God. So we find this to be a very key passage. Listen, when you're talking to the cults, when you're talking to liberal theologians uh, or liberal friends who call themselves Christians and they question or challenge you on this, the place we go is John 5. There are other places, of course, but the book of John, but John 5 specifically is one to get your minds and hearts around to help you in those conversations because we're talking here about a very, very important truth. Jesus defends his deity in this chapter. And he's not just a good man. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a compassionate person. Uh, he's not the ideal of humanity. All of those things that people want to speak about when they talk about Jesus. No, he's God. He is God. And this chapter highlights that. And we need to see that he's co-eternal with the Father. All that the Father is, Jesus is. That's what I want you to see 
in John chapter 5. You notice in verse 18 of John chapter 5, for this reason, the Jews, the Jewish, when you say the word Jews in the book of John, it's always referring to Jewish leaders, not the whole Jewish population, but Jewish leaders specifically, were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because one, he was not only breaking the Sabbath, they had Sabbath rules, remember, Saturday, that's the day of worship, and it had to look a certain way, it had to be a certain way, 39 different things you could not do on the Sabbath, and he, was, he had broken one of those, um, actually he broke a lot of them, but he broke one of those in particular in this, this, this context, he was, number two, he was calling God his own father, number three, he was making himself equal with God, see it, that's, that's what's going to get him killed, right there, those three things. They will follow him for the next year and a half to the cross. Those accusations in the minds of the religious leaders. Now, those things won't hold up to Pilate because he doesn't care about religious matters. It'll be political matters when he's standing before Pilate. But in terms of the Jews and why they want to get rid of him, they're right there. How he treats the Sabbath, claims he's God, makes himself equal to God. And you know what? He's the one that started the fight. He started the argument. Jesus could have healed this guy in John chapter 5 on any other day of the week, but he chose to do it on the Sabbath. Remember the context? We've got a guy that has been lame for 38 years by the pool of Bethsaida on his mat, and Jesus comes and heals him on the Sabbath. And so that just provokes the whole scene that we're looking at in John chapter 5. Because these are the issues Jesus wants to push. Jesus is bold and courageous. He doesn't back down. They've got a wrong view of the Sabbath. They've got a wrong view of God. They've got a wrong view of Jesus. And that's what he's correcting in this section. So he, he came to be killed So this doesn't surprise us. He came to die. No accident that he's going to go to the cross because he came to save you and me as sinners, to be our substitute, to die in our place. So death is why he came. That baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago came for one purpose, and that was to die. To die and to save sinners. So, He tells this blind man, verse 15, 16, somewhere around there, to pick up his pallet. And you don't pick up pallets on the Sabbath, according to their Jewish traditions. And so they're all riled up about that. And they are wondering why you do this. How do you have the authority to do this? Verse 17, notice what he does. He answered them and said, notice, my father, see what he's doing? Calling God his father. My father is working until now. This is why I do this on the Sabbath. I told you this last week. I do this on the Sabbath because God is my father, because God God and I, I, I am God and I do what God does. I imitate God. I'm of the God category. He says, he says, 
Son of God, and remember this is so important, Son of God is not a subordinate term. Son of God does not mean that Jesus is any less than God. It just simply means he has the same divine essence as God. Like I said to you last week, you're sons of Adam. You're not sons of an, an animal or sons of a plant. You have the essence of humanity because you're sons of Adam. Jesus, Son of God, that means he has the same essence as God. It is not a term of subordination. He's co-eternal with the Father. And that is, why, why do I heal on the Sabbath? Why do I tell a guy to pick up his pallet and walk? Why do I say those things on the Sabbath? Because my Father is working on the Sabbath and I work on the Sabbath. That's his answer. God sustains the universe on the Sabbath. God heals people on the Sabbath. God continues to be God on the Sabbath. And my Father and myself are working. You see that in verse 17. We work in perfect harmony. Go down to verse, and that's why they want to kill him, okay? That's why they want to kill him. You do things you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. You treat the Sabbath lightly. You don't keep our traditions and, and laws about the Sabbath. And you make yourself equal with God. And so he goes through this in verse 19 and following. I talked about these things last week. I don't want to um, go, go back through all of that. Just to say a few things. I want to at least read these verses with you. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, to these religious leaders, truly, truly, i got something very important to say to you. Something very, very important to say to you. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. I got something I want to say to you. The son can do nothing of himself. The key word in these verses is the word do. Do does doing. You see that over and over. I, I do what the father does. I imitate the father. Philip, remember Philip? Show us the father. He'll say that later in the book of John. Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know that I and the Father are one? He says this in, toward the end of the book of John, John 14. He says, don't you know? Don't you see? Don't you know? If you can't understand my words, at least look at my works. I am doing the works of God, my Father. So I am in the category of God. It's Jesus' argument. John, John 5.20, notice, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Eternal, there's an eternal love relationship with God. I told you about that last week. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. This eternal love relationship that you and I are caught up in, and we're a gift to the Son. I told you all about that last week. But the point of that is that we are working in perfect unity, the Father and I. And greater works you will see. You see that in verse 20. You saw a man healed after being sick for 38 years. He says, I'm going to show you some greater works than that. Verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life. I imitate. I do the same things the Father does even so in the same manner he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead he raises Jairus's daughter from the dead he raises the 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 funeral procession the the woman's son from the dead and he too will be raised from the dead all giving evidence of his deity there's the word for again in verse um, 22 
For not even the Father judges anyone, but has given all the judgment to the Son. Further explanation, we're going to see this later in today, and in, uh, but then you can look down at verse 30. My judgment is just. God has given the gavel of judgment to the Son. Everybody one day will stand before the Son. He's got the gavel of judgment. Acts 17 says, The Father has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He appoints. God raised this judge from the grave. Acts 17. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. And then we come to verse 23. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Told you last week, this is the, this is the key verse of it all, really. I don't need the other verses. I got this one right here. This should say it all right here. God says, I will share my glory with no one. Jesus says, that glory that you would share with no one, you share with me. Because I'm the Father. I'm the, excuse me, I and the Father are one. Adore and worship the Son. The same level of honor that you give to the Father, give to the Son. Very important. Remember when Thomas, uh, Thomas who doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead, he says, put your hand in my side. See the, the injury, the wound? And what, is, what does Thomas do when he sees that? He says, my Lord and my God. He worships him. Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus didn't say, don't do that. He didn't stop Thomas. Hey, Thomas, you only worship God the Father. You don't worship. No, he said, don't do that. No, he didn't say that because you worship the Son. They're equal. Only worship God, God the Father and God the Son. And we don't see it in this passage, but God the Holy Spirit. That's our triune God. And I will say this to you. There's one God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. They're distinct persons in the Trinity, but there's only one God. I don't get that. I don't know how to explain that. But that is how the Bible defines the three. The three in one. That tri-unity. One essence, one God. Three distinct persons. So we come today to the verse I'm going to start with and looking at and all the way to verse 30. Truly, truly, I say to you. So now he moves to this somewhat sounding invitation. Truly, truly, I say to you. I say to you, religious leaders. That's who he's talking to. I say to you, after all of the reasons I've given you why I am the Son of God, why I am God in human flesh, he says, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. And notice, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. You would think it would say, he who hears my word and believes me. It doesn't. It's because their words are equal. If I say it, God has said it. You follow me? You would think it would say, 
He who hears my word and believes what I just told him. No, it doesn't say that. Believes him who sent me. Because the Father and the, the Son are equal in what they say. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, in front of it means we've got an important statement here. Truly, truly is used three times in John chapter 5. Very important statement, I say to you, speaking directly to this unbelieving mob. He says, he who hears my word. Now, think about this with me. When you think of the word hear, hear, what do you think about? You think about you're hearing a sermon today. You can hear a sermon and have absolutely no effect on your life whatsoever. A lot of people hear sermons. You can hear things being said, and it doesn't mean they affect your life in any way. That doesn't seem to be the way it's being used here. I remember reading a long time ago a biography of George Whitfield. George Whitfield and Ben Franklin were great friends. Uh, ben Franklin had great admiration for George Whitfield. He was a, a, mis- a British missionary that d- preached in Britain and in the United States during the late 1700s, mid to late 1700s just well-liked by Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin would even get up early in the mornings to go out into the field to listen to George Whitfield. He liked George Whitfield. He gave money to George Whitfield. He built buildings for George Whitfield. He had great admiration for George Whitfield. He publicized George Whitfield. He just didn't believe what George Whitfield was saying. His point to somebody who asked him about that was, well, at least he believes it, and he believes it very strongly. But it had no effect. All that hearing had no effect on Ben Franklin. He just liked to hear. He just liked to hear. But he was never changed without being affected by what he heard. Here is is not just intellectual agreement. We must agree on that. That can't be what it means here. Uh, you can know what is being said and, and, and never get it, never be affected by it. You continually can hear something and it make no impact. It doesn't penetrate anything beyond your hearing or your mind. It goes nowhere. Later, we're going to read in verse 39, you search the scriptures. He's going to tell these religious leaders, you search the scriptures. You do Bible study incredibly. You're really into the word of God. You memorize the word of God. You teach the word of God. He says in verse 39, you search the scriptures. You're looking for something and you're not finding it. So it's possible to hear over and over again. That does not mean it has any effect on your life. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. Turn to Luke 6 for a moment. The the idea of hear, the idea of hear is is to listen under. You follow me? The idea of the word hear in these verses is the idea of listening under it with the intent to obey it. That's the idea of the word hear when Jesus is speaking. Notice in verse 46 of Luke 6. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See that? You call me Lord, and you do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me, verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act, and you see the, how that one goes, the house gets t- blown away by the first storm that comes along. He wants people to hear under. He wants people to hear and act. That's the idea. Because he goes on to say, and believes him who sent me. There's much more here than just hearing it. Parents understand this. Parents understand this. You say to your child, go clean your room. Go clean your room. Very simple statement. You go by the room a few hours later, and it's not cleaned. And you ask, did you hear me? Child says, well, yeah. Yeah, I heard you. Tell me to go clean my room. I heard that. And you say, well, and they say, well, I'm still thinking about that statement. I'm trying to analyze that statement. In fact, I diagrammed that statement. I laid that statement out and I studied that statement and I tried to find the intent of the author in that statement and I tried to understand the context of that statement. I tried to understand all the things there were about that statement. I'm even looking at the word clean. and What does clean do? A word study on the word clean. What does clean my room do? Mean. And in fact, I'm going to gather with some friends this afternoon and we're going to talk about all that statement entails. Go clean your room. Is that the response the parent wants to hear? But no, that's what we do, right? We do. We like to hear more than do. We like to be hearers rather than doers, James says. We like to analyze and evaluate and tell me all the, the, the meanings of all the different phrases rather than just do it, rather than hear under it. That's the idea of the word hear. The response that God wants from us is not the response that we want from our kids to do that, right? No different, no different. So I, did you hear me? You're expecting Someone, them to get up and do something. You need, you need to be affected by it. You need, you need to be, that's the idea of it. You, you hear it in a way that you're affected by it. You're, you're possessed by it. To, to really understand it to, to the point where I surrender to it. That's the idea of that verse. Verse 24. Is your life controlled by the message of Jesus Christ? The message that says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. He's saying to these spiritually dead people, these religious leaders who are spiritually dead, understand that, The reason I know they're spiritually dead is because they don't have eternal life. They need eternal life. They're spiritually dead. The world does not like you and I to talk like this. They do not like you and I to talk like like this where we say you're spiritually dead and you're going to be judged and you're going to face hell. 
The world does not like that. They want a Jesus that is loving. They want a Jesus that is um, all about them. They want a Jesus that accepts them just the way they are and doesn't want them to change. They want a Jesus that is their own making, own understanding, own design. A Jesus, in fact, that's just like them, really. They don't want a Jesus that talks like this, passed into judgment. People are under the judgment of God. They're spiritually dead. The reality is nobody can understand and nobody can accept God. They, they want to they talk about love, but the reality is they do not know love unless they know judgment. You understand that? Unless you know, unless you know, unless you know the condition you're in, you cannot appreciate the love that God has shown in sending His Son. If you think you're okay, then His coming to the world makes no sense. God so loved the world, He gave they don't, would never understand that if they did not understand first that they're under judgment. If they did not first understand the stage that they're, they're standing before God, in fact, that He is going to judge them. That they have not passed out of judgment, they're facing judgment. That's, that, is, um, that is their condition. Um, and that's why John the Baptist went around telling people, Repent. You're not okay. You need to repent. He said to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath of God to come? Follow me? Who warned you of the wrath of God to come? Turn over to Luke 13. Luke 13. This is Jesus speaking Verse 1 of Luke chapter 13. Verse 1. Now on the same occasion, there were some present. This is 13.1 of Luke. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered this fate? Are, and, and in fact, they did. They did. That was their thinking. If something bad happens to you, it's because, it's because you are a greater sinner than other people. You follow me? They, they equated bad things happening in your life to the fact that you, create, you committed certain sins. Okay? And so these Galileans, uh, excuse me, these Galileans' blood was mixed with the sacrifices in some scene. And Jesus says, I tell you, No. That's not the reason. He says, you better, he says, that could happen to you, and you better repent. Likewise, you too will perish. See that in verse 3? Has nothing to do with is somebody is a better. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And unless you repent, you all likewise will all likewise perish. Verse 4. Or do you suppose that those 18 on the Tower of Siloam fell and killed were the worst culprits than all men who lived in Jerusalem? They'd say, yeah, I do. They'd say, yeah. Bad things happen to bad people. He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you, all, you will all likewise perish. 
You see the idea here? We're all going to perish. It doesn't matter how. I don't know how I'm going to die. It really has nothing to do with, I'm a sinner. That's, that's the point. I live in a sinful and sinful world. Accidents happen. Things happen. doesn't mean I'm a worse sinner than anybody else. It simply means death came into the human race through Adam, and I'm, I am a descendant of Adam. And we're all going to die. And if you die in your sins, you perish. You face judgment. You better repent. So that's the message. Jesus preached that message. Jesus is not calling people to be good people. He's not calling you to be a good person. He's not calling you. He's he's telling you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And none of us can do that. And because you can't do that, you're dead under the judgment of God. You're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. All right, now that's the problem I got with this verse. Thank you for verse 25. The only way I can do verse 24 is because verse 25 is there. Stay with me. Don't you agree with me when I say to you that the natural man does not understand the things of God? You agree with me when I tell you that I can't hear if I'm dead in my trespasses and sins? Would you agree with that statement? I can't hear. I can't hear. I can't hear unless God does something in me first so I can hear, so I can believe, so that I can pass out of, so I can have eternal life and pass out of judgment into life. The point is, I don't, verse 24 cannot happen unless I got verse 25. And what verse 25 on down to verse 30 is talking about is resurrection. He's talking about resurrection. And first he's going to talk about resurrection, spiritual resurrection, and then he's going to talk about physical resurrection. The first resurrection is a resurrection uh, that is spiritual. It's a resurrection that is, uh, happens at a different time than the resurrection of the physical body that we see at the end of this passage. First, let me talk about spiritual resurrection. Spiritual resurrection. You know, people have a lot of views about what happens to you when you die. This passage will answer that. A lot of people think you, when you die, you come back as something. Some people teach that. They teach you you'll come back. If you've lived a good enough life, then you'll come back as a a dolphin. If you lived a really horrible life and you were a jerk to people, you'll come back as a cockroach or something. They don't tell you what the basis for determining that is, but that's what they believe. That's what they believe. Some people believe you just die and that's it. You go off into just darkness. There's no life after death. I would say the majority of people believe that everybody just goes to heaven. Just dying gets you into heaven. People think that. You die, as long as you're not a serial killer, you'll go to heaven. And they say when you get behind that door, you'll go down this long corridor, and there's, you go some corridor, at the end of it is light, and you go behind some door, and behind that door, you just, everybody you've ever known is going to be there, and you're just going to go, wow, a big party. We're going to have a big party once again with everybody I've ever known. I'm going to see everybody that I've ever known. When I die, that's what happens to me. That's what happens to Everybody. And they don't really give you, and you'll spend eternity in heaven, and you'll be joyful forever. And uh, generally speaking, they don't have any specifications on why you should go there. They just say everybody goes there. 
Everybody goes to a better place. Read the obituary sometime. Everybody is going to a better place. That's what people think. They give no basis for that whatsoever. Some people, Roman Catholic priests, thinks Hitler's in heaven. Now, he's not saying Hitler has a luxury suite or anything. But he says, no, everybody goes to heaven because there's basically no judgment. Everybody gets in. The Sadducees in Jesus' time were like that. They were more liberal. They didn't hold to all the particulars of a resurrection, life after death. They were the more liberal side. The Pharisees believed that in the resurrection, in fact, they went so far as to say, you better have nice clothes on when you die because that's what you're going into the resurrection with, whatever you're wearing. Kind of like the Egyptians in the pyramids. What you want to take with you, you better have with you. You, follow, you, got the, you get the point. Well, Jesus deals with afterlife stuff in, in these verses. And in verse 25, he starts with spiritual resurrection. He starts with the basis of why you can say, you can believe, why you can hear and believe. In verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is. Key word, now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. See that? That is spiritual deadness right there. It now is, is interesting. It's, there, there is an hour that is coming, and now is. It's happening right now as Jesus is speaking these words. It's something that has already arrived and also has a future aspect to it. Spiritual resurrection. This isn't the resurrection in the future. That's not now is. This is a spiritual resurrection. This is the reason, this is the reason a dead person, a spiritually dead person can embrace and hear the truth of verse 24. Because He gets raised from the deadness of his soul. Let me show you that. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter... Tell you what, hold that. Just find Ephesians 2, we'll get there. No, go there. Ephesians 2. I'll come back to these other verses I was going to look at. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. You're familiar with this. We talk about this all the time. So you're familiar with this. I think it's interesting how Jesus presents it to us in John chapter 5 though. But Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was you. You were dead. It's like you're in a cemetery and you're dead. You, you are the walking dead right now. If you're not a Christian, that's you. You might be walking around physically, but spiritually, you're not alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is not working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging desires, children of wrath, expecting judgment, even as a rest. But God, being rich in his mercy, resurrected us. That's what verse 3 is basically saying. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive. That's resurrection. That's when he comes and he makes 
a dead, spiritually dead person alive. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The reason I can do verse 24 is because. The reason I can hear in verse 24 is because of what Jesus does in verse 25. Now is is interesting. It's happening right now. Let me, let me just show you something. No, you, you can turn back if you want to. or Just go back to John 5. But in John 3.36, he says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Why, why do I say now is? Now is is because Jesus is walking around in his ministry and he is telling people, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. They don't have the cross and the resurrection yet, right? In Jesus' ministry, they don't have the full picture of everything yet, but now is, while Jesus is walking around, people are being regenerated. People are being saved, John 5, 24 style. You understand? Hearing and believing now is it's happening now even though cross resurrection the fullness will come at the day of pentecost that's not there yet like old testament believers who believe always looking forward saved on credit right they're saved by faith the righteousness of jesus is credited to their account they don't know that content they haven't seen that revelation laid out for them yet but as revelation pro- progresses through the scripture they will come to a full understanding at some point. But the point is, now is. Jesus can say in John 3, 33, 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. John four forty two, the Samaritan woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one who is indeed the Savior of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's the now is language. Now is, people are now in this particular moment, two years out from the crucifixion and resurrection, they are experiencing John 5, 24. New birth. Turn back over to John 1, 12. I've shown you this before. Man. John 1, 12, you've seen this before. Same kind of language. Same kind of language. John writing this, these aren't Jesus' direct words. <clears throat> of course, they're Jesus' words under the inspiration of but John writing this commentary. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You see that? Notice 13 qualifies 12 who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The reason the people in verse 12 received, became children of God, and believed is because they were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see that? That's why I say John 5.25 is necessary for John 5.24. God has to do a work first to help me Here, help me believe. Help me to become a child of God. Spiritual resurrection. It's happening now and it continues to happen. Now in Jesus' context and it will continue to happen all the way to the end. That's how people are saved. You're sitting here this morning as a Christian because God did something in your dead soul. He raised you from the dead spiritually. 
he had to do that. You can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't go to a cemetery and tell everybody, hey, get out of your grave. Doesn't work. Dead people don't do that. Spiritually dead people don't do that either. The natural man does not understand the things of God. They're spiritually appraised. I've got to have spiritual eyes, spiritual understanding to appraise the things of God and understand and have, and even see them as valuable. So, calls them to life. Look at verse 26. For just as, back to John 5. No, I haven't been telling you references very well this morning. 526, John 526. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. He's the one that gives life. Only Christ can give life. And that's what I was saying with John 1, 12 and 13, okay? Verse 27, now we move to physical resurrection. This is different. Physical resurrection. Go back to think about, think, first, think Easter. Think Easter. Think, think uh, the resurrection of Christ. Bodily resurrection, right? A bodily resurrection. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, every other body will be raised from the dead. You understand? That's what Easter is all about. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. He did it. What happened to him will happen to us. And it will happen to unbelievers as well. You say, what if I've been cremated? So what? This is God we're talking about, not, you know. What if I died in the bottom of the ocean? So what? Every body will one day be raised. Every body. Okay? This, is, this happens, happened to every believer, unbeliever. All right, look at verse 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Son of Man, by the way, is found in Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14. I saw one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man being the one who is going to be given a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. He will be worshipped. He's called the Son of Man here. It's a messianic title. Notice verse 28. The son of Ma- uh, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All, everybody, believer and unbeliever. The resurrection refers to the end of the age. So this refers to the end of the age. Um, it's going to be a powerful event one day. And they will come forth. Notice, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. All right, got a problem already. I thought I was saved by faith, Rod. What is this good deed stuff about? What's that about? Unbelievers' evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Understand this, believers are saved by faith in Christ alone. You're saved by the finished work of the cross alone. You do nothing to earn or deserve your salvation. It is a work of God. It starts with God bringing you to life, you believing by faith in what Christ has done. Believers are not saved by good works. Listen, we are saved, notice, for good works. For good works. Your good works will not lead you to heaven, but they will follow you to heaven. Do you understand? They will follow you. As you are 
2 Corinthians 5.10, one day as a believer to be rewarded, to be rewarded for those good deeds. Given greater capacity to worship and praise Christ forever and ever and ever. John Calvin said, faith alone saves you, but faith that is alone does not save. James calls it a dead faith. Faith that produces no works is a dead faith. Understand that. The greatest evidence that you're a Christian is that you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not because of your good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says. I believe the resurrection for you and I as believers sitting in this room right now is turned to 1 Thessalonians 4. I've got five minutes. Let me see if I can do this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. <clears throat> I believe this is our resurrection. I recognize people have different views of eschatology. I'm trying to tell you the right one this morning, so just hang on. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself... You know what they were worried about in Thessalonica? They were worried because their friends, Christian friends, had already died. And they were afraid their Christian friends were going to miss the second coming. They've already died. They missed the second coming. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, is correcting that wrong thinking. For the Lord himself, verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Notice, the dead in Christ will rise first. Your dead friends will go first. They will rise. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, I believe, I believe in the rapture, folks. I believe there is a rapture of the church one day. And with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will shall always be with the Lord. I believe similar language in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. The dead will be raised imperishable, but we will be changed. Same language. Found at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I believe that's a resurrection for you and I one day. We will receive a new body. We'll receive a body fit for heaven. A new body fit for heaven. What went into the ground was perishable. What rises out of the ground, Paul says, is imperishable. We will have a new body one day. That's believers, unbelievers. Notice in verse 29. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. A life characterized by Christlessness, no Christ, no trust in Christ. Fleshly driven, ego driven, committed to evil deeds as practice. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I read this to you last week. If you want to turn there to Revelation 20 verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne, verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. I saw a great white throne with him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. This is after the millennial kingdom. He's opening a book. You see in verse 12, 
the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead. He says, the death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Believers and unbelievers will be resurrected one day. Jesus is the judge. That's his point. He's the one that sits on that throne. He is the judge. He is the judge of all humanity. That's something God does. Jesus is seeing doing that. He's the judge of everything. Unbelievers will receive a body suited for the torments of hell. Unbelievers will receive a body suited for the joys of heaven. Verse 30 of John 5. Turn back there and... I will close. Jesus says in verse 30 of John 5, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. I'm not separated from God. I am, uh, we are one. Uh, I don't do it on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How do you escape the judgment John 5, 24, God, give me ears to hear. God, give me a heart to believe. God, give me, give me that. That should be your prayer this morning if you're an unbeliever. I, I don't think you can do it yourself. You need grace. Just cry out for God's grace to open your blind eyes, to open your deaf ears, to see Christ is beautiful and wonderful See Christ as valuable, appraised. To ask God to raise your soul from the dead spiritually that you might escape judgment. This is serious stuff. You can believe what you want to believe and make up your own, make up your own theories about life after death, but this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. That he's the one that gives life. He's the one that takes away life. He's the judge. And one day, we will stand before him. Father, thank you for our time this morning. God, lots of stuff here, Lord. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff, Father. So grateful to you this morning that we can look to you and know that we're not just talking to somebody that's like us, but one who is God and man at the same time. Fully God, fully man. One who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One who can, came into this world and lived a life that we could never live and kept every commandment that God ever gave and did it perfectly for us. Our substitute. The one who died in our place. The one who lived the life in our place to satisfy the demands of a holy God on our place, in our place, the ones who satisfied the wrath of God in our place. We thank you for this wonderful message that we have to share and to proclaim. We thank you and praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.